Hold up. Hello and welcome to this episode of Outside the Box Score, where we bring you new and interesting perspectives about the world of sports. I am your host, Jonathan Michael, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson, in just a few minutes. But before we get started, I want to mention this podcast is brought to you in part by Rakuten. Rakuten is a cash back program. You're getting cash back for all the purchases that you normally make. You don't have to change any of your habits. You don't have to change any of the stores that you shop at as they have thousands of partners. You simply sign up through our link listed in the description of this podcast. You'll receive a special offer, some free money to get started. And uh, you're going to get paid for the purchases that you make using their program. It's as easy as one, two, three. They highlight the steps for you there. It's a great program to become a part of. Everyone's doing a lot of online shopping with the pandemic, trying to stay home, trying to stay safe. We'll go ahead and visit their website. You don't have to change a thing and how you buy and how you purchase and the places that you go. You just make an account with them and you get started. Want to mention also to follow along with us on Twitter at JM. OTB pod at MT OTB pod, where we'd love to connect with you and uh, share our thoughts and, and have a dialogue with you throughout the week. And with that, let's get into the show. Let's kick off our first quarter and talk about the most interesting and surprising game of the divisional round in the NFL playoffs. We had a great week of football. There's no doubt about it. A lot of good games, but they were pretty predictable. The money-making marvelous Thompson, he went 4-0. We kind of knew which way they were going. Tampa Bay, you're not going to beat them three times. Cleveland, even without Patrick Mahomes, they're not beating Kansas City. Didn't happen. The Buffalo... Baltimore game was more interesting, and uh, those Mars-Buffalo Bills keep on winning. Can't stop, won't stop. doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but they're well-coached, really good football team. And Lamar Jackson won a playoff game. He's taking strides towards becoming an elite franchise quarterback. But no, the biggest surprise was the Green Bay-LA Rams game. And it wasn't the outcome. We kind of knew that that was going to happen, though we wondered would Green Bay come out soft? Would would they come out flat as they have in the history of their franchise and in the career of Aaron Rodgers? So the outcome, no, it wasn't surprising. But what was surprising is how we got there. The Green Bay Packers ran the football as much as they threw it. Aaron Rodgers only threw for 230 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, he was perfect, but he didn't put up big numbers. No, the Packers ran with three running backs, three-headed monster for just under 200 yards, over 170. I mean, it was an impressive running game. This was a physical football team that wore down the best defense in the NFL. Aaron Donald up the middle, no problem. That secondary, the play action, was able to set up the pass. This is a whole new look for the Green Bay Packers. 
we talk about it on the show and and it's a it's a common phrase your your greatest strength often becomes your greatest weakness it creates a blind spot for you get a little overconfident feel like you know what's going on what's happening and and you kind of get in your own way i think in the same way your greatest weakness can become a huge strength green bay for so many years for all of aaron Rodgers' career couldn't run the football or they wouldn't run the football and year after year they weren't tough enough they weren't deep enough and they weren't strong enough to get to those super bowls to win as much as they should have with aaron Rodgers. but bring in matt lafleur somebody who's a very good coach somebody who's committed to the running game and he's gotten Aaron Rodgers to buy into the system, to be okay with running the football, to not audible to his own plays. That's something special that Green Bay has going on. And it wasn't something that I thought I would see against the top defense in the NFL. They may not be the best team left, but I think that they are the most dangerous team out there. Give me Aaron Rodgers in one game that defensive roster, the offensive line, the running game. This is a dangerous football team. It is now time to bring in the marvelous Joey Thompson. How are you doing today, Marv? Hey, what's up, Jonathan? I'm doing great, man. Love the games this weekend. As you mentioned, 4-0. Felt good to be right and be perfect. Uh, listen up to the picks uh, this week, guys. We got some good ones for you. How's your weekend been, Jonathan? 4-0. I'm just rolling in the dough. That money-making Marv is is printing for me. That started the week off well. We've got a lot of good bets in there. Um, other than that, getting a little snow here, but I'm staying inside. I'm warm. I got the heat on. We're rolling the show. No better place to be than with you doing this here. Uh, Marv, you and I talked before the show, so I know where you're going with it, but you seem to disagree with me on these Green Bay Packers, you think Tampa Bay is dangerous in the team to beat. Tell our audience why. See, I really like what Green Bay did this Sunday. I'm sorry, this Saturday during the uh, playoffs, uh, divisional round. They looked really good blocking up front in the cold weather. They pounded the Rams. But the Rams' front seven is really small. They're really athletic. They're big on blitzing and pass rush. So the only way to slow down that pass rush is to run the ball. And Green Bay executed on both sides of the ball, on defense and on offense. So I'll, I'll say that I was really impressed. But I really love Tampa Bay and what Tampa Bay has been doing in these playoffs. The Buccaneers look like they're clicking on all cylinders. Uh, Tom Brady has been looking sharp out there. Uh, he has a plethora of weapons from Mike Evans to uh, Godwin to Antonio Brown, who tweaked his knee, but he looks like he's going to be able to go this Sunday. And also Scotty Miller. Those are four receivers they have. And I think that's going to cause a lot of problems for the Packers to guard all four receivers. On top of that, uh, Bray at tight end, who's uh, been playing really well, and then Rob Gronkowski. So that Buccaneers offense just looks phenomenal out there on the field and i feel that they also looked really impressive against 
the number two ranked defense, which was the Saints. The Saints defense was stout all year long, and that's who carried the Saints all year long. Now, what really mattered in this game was the Buccaneers stopped the run. Buccaneers were the number one rush defense, and I feel the Packers might have a tough time running the ball against the Bucs, and they showed they can do it, which is a wrinkle that we we none of us expected to see in the Packers offense, even though uh, their coach comes from a zone-blocking scheme type offense when he's the coach with uh, McVay back in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, so it's, it really showed how well the Packers were able to establish that run. But I feel the Packers' offensive line, it could be their weakness against the Bucks. The Bucks possess a really good front seven with Devin White and Levante David. Those two are really good linebackers. And also, Antoine Winfield uh, Jr., the, the young second-round pick uh, that they got from Minnesota, that guy is a stud, and he's been making plays, flying out there all over the field. I really like the Buccaneers to make it to the Super Bowl. Tom Brady has that look in his eye, and we all know Tom Brady just does not lose. It's going to be a great matchup. I'm really excited to see it. But I'm going to, as you mentioned, I'm going to have to disagree. I'm going Tampa all the way. So I'll give you the Brady factor. If I'm taking Tampa, Tom Brady is just that great that you can make an argument on its own that Tom Brady is just going to win this game. He's going to teach this team. He's going to will this team. He's going to do everything that they can to win. And guys just play at a different level when they play with Tom. We've seen that all year. But I do have my reservations here for, for a couple of reasons, and, and then I'll let you respond. Number one, I don't like the coaching matchup. I know Tom Brady's kind of the de facto coach and the coach on the field. I do like Byron Left, which he's done a really good job as an offensive coordinator, and Todd Bowles is a really good defensive coordinator. But when I've watched these Buccaneers throughout the entire season, they're not what you'd call buttoned up. When they when they played the Saints, they're giving up punt returns for touchdowns almost back to back. That's that's detail stuff. Special teams. Bill Belichick, good coaches, they don't let that happen. So I'm worried about Matt LaFleur seeming to be a bright, young, buttoned-up coach. And Bruce Arians, kind of a fun guy, drinking cocktails and, and being the cool uncle in his Kango hat. I, you know, I don't love that matchup. But you love the defense. And this is my second and final point. You love the defense, which I like them too. I really do. I think that they're, you make a great point about their running defense and their ability to stop the run. They're more physical. They're quicker than the Rams as a whole. You could at least make that argument. I'll give you that. But you're the defensive coordinator, Marv. And you have to stop this Packers offense where they're running stretch and they're going a bootleg the other way, and they can pass just as well as they can run. That's a coordinator's nightmare. I don't really know what you do. Can, can you give our, me and our audience a little insight into what you would do? Because I'm, I'm kind of lost. I, I'd have a hard time preparing for Aaron Rodgers. It's a, it's a very tough matchup for them. Um, if I'm Todd Bowles, I've already had success earlier in the season against the same Green Bay Packers team. Uh, when they were undefeated coming into Tampa. I believe they were 4-0 uh, coming off of a bye week. They came into Tampa, and Tampa basically uh, beat them 38-10. to Now, yeah, 
it was early in the season. Green Bay was out to a really good start. Uh, their division was probably already won by then. Uh, but I feel that Todd Bowles can build off of that success he had against Aaron Rodgers early in the season and try to duplicate it. But, of course, you can't expect the same exact results from what you did in the past. But you can build on it and try to maybe disguise some things because Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure, also watched that tape millions of times over and over again, knowing Aaron Rodgers and the type of quarterback and uh, athlete he is. He's uh, really smart, so I'm sure he's watching and seeing everything that they did that weekend when they played him. Now, what I expect Todd Bowles to do is try to mix up the looks. I mean, they have Shaq Barrett on one side. They have JPP on one side. They have Ndamukong and Sue in the middle. Their their front seven is is ferocious. So the key thing for the uh, for the Buccaneers to have success against the Packers is to they play a cover two zone. So just to lay it out simple, they just gotta find ways to create pressure and force the Packers into third and long, and that's the key to success there. If you force the Packers to make to get out of their um, their set plays and force them to throw it on third and long, you'll have some success. And I feel that's where the Bucks will have to focus on stopping the Packers on first and long, first and short. First, I'm sorry, first down, second down. Once you get them to third and long, bring the heat and try to confuse Rodgers, even though that's going to be really tough. But I see what you mentioned. You know, it's going to be tough to guard them because they've showed a second dimension to their offense, being able to run the ball with three different guys and then being able to do the play-action bootleg and complete passes down the field with perfection. So it's going to be... It's going to be a back-and-forth battle. I re- I'm really excited to see the game. I'm sticking with my guns. I'm going with the Bucks, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough matchup. It's going to be kind of like Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning in, in a way because Aaron Rodgers is, is amazing. And, you know, this we got to enjoy what we're going to be able to witness this weekend. It's, it's greatness on the field on both sides of of the football field, and I, I can't wait to watch that game this Sunday. There's a lot of validity to creating confusion because even one play can make the difference in the game. That one interception, just like we saw in the first game in Tampa. I'll propose this idea real short and sweet. The Packers' weakest group on offense are their receivers. Valdez Scantling is a deep threat. And you have Devontae Adams, uh, Lazard. Devontae Adams is really, really good. I don't mean to lump him in there, but he's the one good guy that they have. Lazard is whatever. Tunyon's a good red zone tight end, but he doesn't do a lot outside of the red zone. So you have to challenge those receivers and give help to Devontae Adams while making it your main priority to stop the run. It may sound crazy to say, make Aaron Rodgers throw the football, but we've seen 15 years of Aaron Rodgers trying to carry a team to a Super Bowl, and it only worked once. So that may be your best bet there. And I want to leave the audience with this, because you may be thinking, well, Tampa Bay blew out Green Bay. Yeah, they did. 
but it was kind of one of those days, as you said, Marv, they maybe kind of packed it in. They knew they're going to win the division. I mean, they play the losers of the world, the Lions, the Packers. I mean, sorry, the Lions, the Bears, and the uh, Vikings. They play the losers of the NFL world over and over again. They win the division like by default. And Aaron Rodgers had the fluke of his career. He threw back-to-back interceptions. Never happened before. Never happened again. Just wasn't his day. Sometimes it's just not your day. You go to work. go to the gym. You're hanging out with your family. You're in cranky mood. And you just you remove yourself because it's not your day. And that's kind of what it seemed like to me. I'm not putting a lot of stock into that game because I think that's kind of a trap. Uh, Marv has given us who he thinks is going to win the game, but he'll give you who he thinks will win and cover give you against the spread in just a minute but before we get to that let's shift into our second quarter talk about the deshaun watson drama on outside the box score we're never going to exactly be first to the news try to give it a little bit more time to digest and give you more thoughtful information and take so this deshaun watson Deal. It's been going on for a little bit, but we've got some clarity on what's going on and some information on where he might be going. Uh, he's very unhappy in Houston for a very good reason. We, Marv and I, have been saying for over a year, Sean Watson should ask for a trade. And he finally has. This, this franchise is in shambles. It's a mess. And there are consequences to actions in life. And the consequences to the Texans' actions of letting Bill O'Brien run this football team into the ground, they're in bankruptcy. You don't get to go buy big houses and fancy cars when you're in bankruptcy. You have to cut back. You have to budget. You have to make changes. And I think it's in their best interest to sell off their biggest asset to the highest bidder because Deshaun Watson's under contract for four more years. Does anyone think that the Houston Texans will be in a Super Bowl in the next four years with Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes in his conference, Lamar Jackson, uh, Baker Mayfield's playing really good too. And it's not even just Baker Mayfield, but that team in Cleveland is really good and really well coached. It's a steep uphill battle. I don't think they're going to sniff a Super Bowl or hardly even the playoffs anytime soon. So I do think it's in their best interest to move on from Deshaun Watson. He's unhappy. It'll be a rebuild for them, which they need, and they can't have an expensive quarterback. But then we get to where will Deshaun Watson end up? The odds have been released. We see the top four teams being in this order. The Jets, the Dolphins, the Bears, and the Broncos. And I have a caution to anyone who wants to trade for Deshaun Watson, primarily the Jets. Trading for Deshaun Watson as these New York Jets who have no assets, nothing in the bank here, giving it all up for this get-rich-quick scheme. You know, you see the YouTube guys, just invest in my Bitcoin and you'll make $5,000 and 100000 like Dave. You know, those things don't really work. So I know the Jets want to be relevant and they want to be a good football team again. They want to matter in New York. But this looks like a get-rich-quick scheme to me. I know they have the assets to do it, but they don't have the depth and the talent to make a significant difference. The Jets would just be jetting again, and I think it would be a disaster at the same level that it is in Houston. I do like a fit. 
with the Miami Dolphins, they have everything in place. There are teams that can trade for him that will be successful. But quarterback isn't always the solution. We have to think Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, they all landed in stable situations with really good head coaches and really good depth of talent. And it was able to develop them and have them flourish and succeed into the championship level quarterbacks that they are disregarding Lamar, but I think he'll get there, but he came into a really strong situation. So it's really going to be important for the team that trades for Deshaun Watson to be judicious in how they budget themselves and how they look forward to it. Because if you're the Jets and you're trading for Deshaun, you're getting a big mansion without any of the furniture or Lambo without any gas. They don't have anything to back it up. Marv, I'm looking at the teams out there. I mentioned the four. Do you think, first, do you think that the Texans should trade Deshaun Watson? And if so, who is the team that, if you're the general manager, you're just going after him? To answer your question, I believe 100% the Texans should trade Deshaun Watson. Uh, Reason being is that relationship is fractured. He no longer wants to be there. Uh, as he told his teammate, J.J. Watt, he apologized and said, sorry for wasting a prime year in your career. That, to me, sounded like a sincere sorry. And, you know, it, it, he just no longer wants to be there. The Texans don't do what he wants. Uh, or they tell him they're going to do something, and then they, they turn around and don't do it. So he just he's tired of being lied to. It's just better they just go separate ways. The Texans have no talent around him. So what they can really do if they trade him, they can get all the assets they need and continue rebuilding that team because that's what it is, is a rebuilding team. And to answer your question, if I'm the general manager, I'm calling the Texans. Well, actually, I'm calling Deshaun if I get the permission to directly or his agent. And we're discussing on the many reasons why he needs to come to our team. And if I'm that team, I'm the Denver Broncos. I'm John Elway. I'm calling Deshaun and I'm selling him on coming to Denver and being the next great quarterback in Denver Broncos history. The Broncos, uh, as we've mentioned before, have so much talent on the offensive side of, of the, of the football team. They have, they're really stacked at wide receiver. They're getting Cortland Sutton back this offseason, coming back from uh, ACL tear. They have a up-and-coming tight end in Noah Fant, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Tim Patrick, Melvin Gordon at running back. The offensive line is an above-average offensive line. It's, it's made a lot of strides. So that looks really enticing to a quarterback like Deshaun Watson coming from a team that had no running back, no receivers, no tight end, and his offensive line was subpar, even though that's what they invested all their draft picks in. And that's the reason why they're in this mess right now is because they gave away draft picks for offensive linemen and it hasn't paid off for them. So I believe the best pit fit would be the Broncos. Um, also, a lot of people don't know this since I, I know so much about the Broncos. They're going to have a lot of salary cap. And they can cut guys like Jarrell Casey. They can cut A.J. Bouye, 
and they can even cut Kareem Jackson and make about $40 million in salary cap just like that in a couple of seconds. And then they can call Von Miller and restructure, and I'm sure he'll be happy to restructure and lower his $18 million salary cap to something team manageable for them to acquire someone like Deshaun Watson. And if the, if the Texans want three first-round picks, just do it because once you get to Sean Watson, you're automatically a playoff team, at least nine to 10 wins easy, especially considering looking at the schedule, the Broncos had a fourth place finish. So they're going to have a really easy schedule next year playing the NFC East. The Detroit lions is possibly going to be the 17th team they play uh, because next year, the NFL is looking to expand to 17 games. So I feel the Broncos could be that, dark horse best situation for Deshaun and, and that's just my my team bias aside just looking at the rosters the Dolphins may have the best assets if they're willing to give them up but knowing the Dolphins Flores comes from the Patriots the Patriots are no Patriots former Patriot um how I say coaches aren't known for giving up the farm for a player they're very conservative, and they like to stockpile picks. So we'll see how that turns out. That probably is the best fit if the Dolphins decide to make that trade because they have more to offer than the Broncos. But in the long run, I feel the Denver Broncos have a really bright future with the young nucleus they have for Deshaun Watson there. So um, I believe the best thing for both parties is the Texans just uh, trade Deshaun and and grant his wishes and rebuild from there on. For those listening, I just want to clarify that think we're all about just trading and mobility. We are pro-mobility, pro-trade, but this is different than the NBA situation where James Harden gets traded and the Rockets did everything. They brought in multiple superstars. They were in the championship hunt. They did everything right for James Harden. And then James Harden wakes up on the wrong side of the bed upset and demands a trade to a super team. I know a lot of people don't like that. So they may be listening and saying, oh, you guys just like to trade everybody who's unhappy. I think Deshaun has a real reason to be unhappy with this franchise, as you mentioned about him uh, apologizing to J.J. Watt and and what Bill O'Brien did to him. So I just want to make that distinction because uh, I think it's important for when you're for trades, when you're not for trades. But I don't think your pick is a homer pick at all because if you remember, Marv, the year that we started this show a couple years ago, I didn't like Drew Locke coming out of the draft. Going, we This was before we knew he was going to your Denver Broncos. I didn't like him. But then coming into this year, I said, man, this guy's going to have a hard time not succeeding because of how much talent is on the Broncos roster, on their offense. I think he has an outside shot at MVP. He'd be a good bet at like plus one million or whatever it was. It was a lot. You know, you'd bet a hundred bucks and make several thousand dollars. I was like, yeah, give this guy a chance. And he came up pretty flat. He didn't do much with it. You're in a division where you have to play Justin Herbert, who threw for the most touchdowns as a rookie, over 30. Patrick Mahomes is there too. I mean, you got to get serious about fixing your quarterback position. I am with you, Marv. I think the Dolphins are the best fit for similar reason where you give up three first round draft picks are they really going to play on your roster or make a huge difference to take you to the super bowl maybe maybe not uh and the dolphins do have the best package to give up they could give up something like tua and 
two to three first round picks and you're going to get the third pick. So you'd be able to draft a quarterback if you wanted one and didn't want to. So that's certainly interesting. But when I look at the jets or the bears, like the jets are semi pro football team. Basically. I don't really know anyone on their team. Like they really need first round picks and Deshaun Watson will be in the same situation he was in before in Houston. So that trade's no good. And the Bears, they've been giving up all sorts of picks for one and two players all the time. I think they need to start building a foundation because they already have a very cracked foundation as it stands. Uh, It could go either way. They could be successful next year. I don't know what they're going to do with the quarterback position. They certainly turned it around, but for a period of time, they look like the worst football team in the NFL tied with the Jets. I really like the Dolphins fit, and the Broncos fit is going outside the box here, and it certainly could work. Let's shift into our third quarter. It's time for Money Making Marv. Marv went 4-0 against the spread last week. He gave you his two locks. Those came through. Gave you his two leaners. Those came through. So he's hot. He's ready to go. We only have two games to pick this week. He's going to give you what he thinks about both of them. So here we go. Marv, the NFC Championship game, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, who you take in on the line? As I mentioned before, I'm taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, plus four. I really love what they're doing. It looks like everything's starting to click on the offense. The defense is starting to come around. They're, they've gotten healthy, healthier as the season has gone on. And each week I've seen progress for the Buccaneers leading up to the playoffs and then of course they came out and performed these last two weeks so I really like what they're doing I feel they're going to win in a close one but either way take the points plus four Tampa Bay yeah I like Green Bay to win this game I like coaching edge Green Bay offensive edge slight Green Bay home field of course Green Bay defensive edge I'm going to give to the Buccaneers certainly have a, a a little bit of defensive edge. I do like the Packers' defense itself, but I don't like their coordinator. I think that's the biggest problem that Green Bay's had for a long time. They hire bad defensive coordinators. I don't know why, but it's something in the water or something. I don't get it. That said, give me the Buccaneers, Tom Brady, and four points. I have to lose by four points or less to make my money. Tom Brady and four points all day. That's an easy one. Big agreement for me. I think it's going to be a great game, a close game. Buccaneers cover. Marv, we have the AFC Championship game. Your beloved money-making Buffalo Bills. We're going to call you money-making Buffalo Bill Marv, I think now. And uh, Kansas City Chiefs, give us your pick and the spread, please. So the Bills, all year I've been picking the Bills uh, when they were in close spreads or even the underdogs, and they've always covered. So this week is no different. I'm taking the Bills. Plus three and a half. I really like what the Bills have been doing all year. It's, it's hard to explain, but they they get it done each and every week. Josh Allen has look ama- looked amazing out there. He's had an MVP-type season. If it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers, I think Josh Allen would get the MVP this year. But, man, the Bills made the, the Ravens look really bad this past uh, weekend. And the Ravens were hot. 
coming into that game. Like, the Ravens were unstoppable for, like, six straight weeks going into the playoffs. Like, I honestly thought the Bills were finally going to meet their match, but it was going to be a close battle, and I took the Bills because I'm sticking with the Bills to the end of this season. And I really like what they're doing. The Chiefs are the best team when Pat, Pat Mahomes is healthy. Pat Mahomes, as we saw this weekend, left the game with a concussion. He also had an injured left foot, so he was having issues with his foot, and he had a concussion. He hasn't cleared protocol yet. I'm sure he's going to play, but a hobbled, concussed, not 100% quarterback, I'm taking the Bills plus three and a half all day. Hey, if it isn't broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, keep riding those bills to that money train. I like the spread here. Actually, I do. Buffalo plus three and a half. I'll give you agreement, but with caution. Uh, part of the reason I like it is we don't know if Patrick Mahomes is going to play. So if you make me pick a side right now, it's a really good value to get three and a half points, which I think they can cover with or without Patrick Mahomes. But if you're lucky enough to not have Patrick Mahomes against you, you're going to win the football game. And as a better, you're getting three and a half points. Buffalo is so interesting, Marv. I just want to say that about like against Baltimore, against everybody that they've played. The more I watch them, the less I like them, but the more that they keep winning. They have no running game. Now, Josh Allen is amazing, would be MVP in a lot of other seasons. Don't get me wrong, but they have one good wide receiver who's always open. I don't know how. He's the one guy you have to stop, Stephon Diggs, and he's open. And their defense is fast. It's really quick and it's everywhere. I think that's what really honed in and, and stopped Lamar, that not having any receivers for him. The Baltimore Ravens really need to upgrade their receivers for Lamar to take that next step because nobody's open. But like, there's not a lot to love about Buffalo, but they just keep winning. And I think that goes to their coaching and their schematic preparation, both offensively, their uh, coordinator, Brian Dable, who hasn't landed a job but was a big name for a lot of jobs, think he might be able to find a better job next year to be honest with you and um and sean mcdermott being the mastermind behind the defense they're just so well coached they kind of remind me of new england they really do uh they not really jump off the tape at you with talent but they're really good and they're always where they're supposed to be so it would be wise to continue to follow marv and take those buffalo bills plus three and a half and also one last wrinkle there Sean McDermott comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree, so he's really familiar with Andy Reid's coach team. So that should be a really good chess match to watch. Absolutely, and what a story. I'm not sure if you caught it or if our audience caught it, but Sean McDermott worked at Goldman Sachs. I didn't know that. He worked at Goldman Sachs. He's this brilliant financial analyst, and he tells his dad, I don't really want to work for Goldman Sachs anymore. I'm going to go be an intern for the Eagles. And his dad's like, what? You work at Goldman Sachs. You know how many people would kill to have that job? Well, it worked out well for him. I think it's just a fantastic story. Somebody following their passion, following their dreams, rather than taking the secure route and what everyone thought he was supposed to do. So I want to share that with everybody because I thought it was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. With that, let's shift into our fourth quarter, our quick hitters. We're going to give you the news from around the leagues. We have NBA to lead us off and NFL to close us out. So here we go. 
Marv, we got a good first look against a competitive team, the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, with James Harden. They played the Milwaukee Bucks, and they looked really good. Now, they did not have Kyrie Irving, which leads me to my question. When they bring Kyrie back, will they be better or will they be worse? This might sound crazy, but I feel once Kyrie Irving gets put into the mix, they might be slightly worse. And this is the reason. It's really tough to have three superstars out on the floor and not all of them be unselfish. You can have two selfish guys, but you can't have three. And I think that's where the problem will start. Kyrie Irving is probably one of the most unselfish players. I'm sorry, one of the most selfish players, excuse me, in the NBA. He's kind of like Allen Iverson where he likes to have all the attention. He likes to take the last shot. He's that type of guy. He's very self, how I say, absorbed. He's one of those guys that he's not willing to take the step back for the better of his team. As we've seen in the past, he ran away from the Cleveland Cavaliers because he didn't want to be in the shadow of LeBron. And then he went to Celtics, and the Celtics didn't want to allow him to be that that guy. So here we are, fast forward to, to the Nets. He's back in the same situation he was in Cleveland. And I really don't like that fit for him. He's the guy that needs to be on the team by himself where he's everything for that team. And let's take it back to... 2010 when the big three one of the original big three was formed in Miami who was the third wheel Chris Bosh you always have to have that third guy that's willing to take the step back for the better of the team same happened in in Cleveland Uh, we had Kevin Love he took a step back for the better of the team his numbers took a drastic fall but guess what they won championships both of those teams were LeBron. It was LeBron, Kyrie, then Kevin Love, if you look at the stats. Same goes in Miami. There's LeBron, Wade, then Bosch. Even though all three of them are multiple all-stars and all of them have been the best player on their team before joining forces. So fast forward to the Nets situation. The only way I see it succeeding for the Nets is if Kyrie takes a step back and is willing to set the third wheel role because Harden's not going to take a step back, and neither is KD. KD loves absorbing all the attention, as we've seen. I mean, but he's also a great teammate. As we saw in Golden State, he took a step back to Stephen Curry, but he still put up excellent numbers. Same goes with the Brooklyn Nets. Now, James Harden won a recent MVP. James Harden is probably their best player. KD, it's going to be James Harden, KD. Kyrie's just got to sit back and watch it evolve, and hopefully he's understanding. If not, I think it's they're going to have to make a tough decision with Kyrie. comes down to the simple fact, well, it's not a fact, but I think it's a well-shared opinion that Kevin Durant is the best player on the team, James Harden is the second best, and Kyrie's the third best, and Kyrie's not going to like that because Kyrie's all about Kyrie. Kyrie... Nobody loves Kyrie more than Kyrie loves Kyrie. It's good to have self-love, but he's got an excess of it. And that's going to be a problem. Now, I don't know who would trade for him, but I would consider looking at trading him because the Nets lost a lot of depth 
And if they could add some role players to add to their two scorers, that would be excellent. Not to mention, I don't see the fit with Kyrie and Harden because they both like to dribble the ball a lot. And Golden State worked because they were able to pass it off. And and maybe they can develop into that. But James Harden and Kyrie's effectiveness is as ball handlers. And they kind of need that. And they thrive off of that. And that match does not work very well. I kind of actually think of, and I think this match was better than the current one, but like LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, at no point were they ever a good match. They just made it work. So this is not a good match, and I don't trust Kyrie to make it work, so I don't like it. Uh, so I, I think they, to answer the question myself, I think they'll be worse, and I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. To stay on this topic, Marv, hear a lot of noise, a lot of chatter, Twitter, people texting me. The NBA's just gone too far. Any player that wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, asks for a trade, it's honored in like two weeks. Uh, I got to ask you, has the NBA gone too far? Is this too much? Too much star power? I feel I feel like it, it has um, because the NBA is going against its uh, what they were trying to stand for and helping maintain these superstars in smaller markets. And now they're going basically the opposite of that and allowing these guys to work their way out of these, let's say, for example, smaller markets, even though Houston's a pretty big market. But let's say, for example, they see something's going wrong and they don't like it. They want out. Simple as that. They want to go to a better situation and a bigger market. Like James Harden went from Houston to New York. New York is, of course, three times a bigger market than uh, Houston is. And I, I feel the NBA has gotten soft on that stance, and I feel they should have at least rebuttaled a little bit, kind of like what David Stern did when the Lakers acquired Chris Ball, and David Stern had to step in and veto that trade because he felt the competitive balance was going to be ridiculous for the Lakers. They're just going to be unstoppable. And so he vetoed that trade and made Chris Paul get traded to the Clippers. And a lot of people, a lot of our listeners may not remember that or do not know that. I, I like that, that David Stern stepped in and made a tough decision for the balance of the, of the sport. Now it's cool that, you know, all these guys move around. We always, advocate for that we always work we're, we're all for it but when you keep building super teams or you're trying to avoid that and you set up the salary cap a certain way to try to avoid that and it still happens then the system is broken and i feel the nba is going to have to uh look into that whenever the all-star break is or whatever they have some owner meetings and try to talk it over and see how they can fix that broken system to keep the competitive balance because now we already know who's going to the finals. It's going to be the Nets versus the Lakers. And that's, I mean, basketball fans are going to love it. All the fans of those teams are going to love it. Two big markets, New York versus Los Angeles. It's going to be great. But the other teams that lose out on these superstars, they're not going to love it. I mean, they'll enjoy the games, but they're not going to love it at the end of the day because their team's not winning. And I think that's something the NBA... Uh, competition committee should take a look at and see how they can at least make it a little bit more tougher for things like this to occur. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. We're pro-mobility, both you and I, and when you're in a bad situation, you should be able to ask to get out of it. 
if you're at your job, if you're listening right now and it, you're at your job and it's not working out, you're free to leave. Uh, you're, you, whether you're under contract or not, is you're free to figure out a way to leave. And that's all that they're doing most of the time. But this has certainly gotten out of hand because there is no longer any sort of competitive balance. I was on the record saying NBA ratings would be higher because Clay Thompson would be back while he's injured. Um, we're going to have more balance this year is why I said that. And this just totally put the kibosh on us over. Um, barring injury, there are really three teams that I see that can make the finals. As you mentioned, the Lakers and the Nets are the likely matchup. I think the Clippers can get there. I think they're a little bit underrated. It'll be a matchup in L.A. But you have two markets that are relevant at this point because two of them are in L.A. And the Bucks. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. I don't believe in it. I think Giannis is a high-end number two or like a 1A, 1B, like LeBron and Wade. And you're not getting the other 1A or 1B into Milwaukee, so you can forget about that. I don't really think Milwaukee holds a candle to Brooklyn at this point. So, yes, it's gone way too far, and the NBA certainly needs to do something about it. Now, last but certainly not least, we have an NFL topic. We have all the NFL hires listed here, and we're going to give them a grade and a quick summary. This is Professor Marv and Professor Jonathan Michael. So here we go. First, Atlanta hires Arthur Smith. Marv, give us a grade and a quick summary why you're giving that grade. I'm giving it a C. Uh, he's coming from Tennessee. Tennessee is known for a running game, uh, play action pass and whatnot. So they looked okay, but I don't know too much about this guy. So I'm giving it a C. It's a not a great hiring, but it's not a horrible hiring. It's a wait and see type of hiring. So we'll see what happens. So I'm giving it a C. I'm going to give this one an incomplete for many of the same reasons you had. I, if I'm the professor, I'm handing you back your paper and say, uh, I think it's a pretty good idea because I like how Tennessee's offense looked. I like how Ryan Tannehill looked. But I don't know because I don't really have a lot of history on this coach, Arthur Smith, kind of one year as a coordinator. It's one of those things. It might go really well or it could go very poorly. It could, it could be anything. So incomplete there. The Chargers have hired defensive coordinator from the Rams, young Brandon Staley. Do you like this hire? Give us a grade and give us a reason. I love it for the Chargers. I hate it that we have to face them two times a year. Uh, this guy came from coaching for Vic Fangio uh, in Chicago, Vic Fangio brought him over to the Broncos. He was a really good position coach, which landed him the defensive coordinator position in, in Los Angeles. He did an excellent job there. Number one defense, coached up a bunch of nobodies. He had two stars on that defense, but he coached up a bunch of nobodies other than Donald and Ramsey. And he was a hot name. Uh, a lot of people were talking to him, and the Chargers snatched him up before anyone else could. I really love it. Uh, he's going to be a great uh, coach in this league. And he, uh, from what I remember, uh, reading reports about him as he was a position coach in Denver, it's a really bright mind, uh, and he's really good. The players love him. So I feel that it's going to help elevate that Chargers defense and that team as a whole. Yeah, I'm going to give it an A. I'm going to give the Chargers – I'm a little bit tougher grader than you, Mar, but not by much. 
I'm going to give the Chargers an A minus. Um, not perfect because he's young and he doesn't have a lot of coaching history, but the history that he does have, as you mentioned, is really, really strong. So as a grading professor of coaching hires, I like when teams take risk. I like when you create a uh, thesis that's risky and you don't know how I'm going to react as a professor. So I am going to reward for that and give the Chargers an A- minus for thinking outside the box and bringing in a young, fresh mind rather than a retread. Next, Marv, the Lions are set to hire tight end coach Dan Campbell. Your thoughts, grade, and reasoning behind it. <sighs> the Lions, when will they learn? Um, I'm giving them a D minus um, because the brand, I'm sorry, the Lions don't know what, what they're doing. Uh, they keep hiring bad coaches after bad coaches after bad coaches. I understand they want they went outside the box this time, but Quinn, he was a he was a tight end in the NFL. I've yet to see a tight end translate to become a really good head coach. I just don't like it at all. Uh, it's it's going to be some tough years coming up in um, in Detroit. I'm giving it a D minus. I continue the trend of being a tougher grader than Marv. I'm giving this one an F. And maybe I'll look really dumb for this someday, but I'm going with my convictions and how bad I think that this is. And I can be pretty sure it's bad because it's the Lions. Uh, Dan Campbell hasn't coached much in the NFL. Um, nothing of note anyways. He's a tight ends coach. He leads the league in wearing size medium shirts that look like they're going to rip. Other than that, I'm not sure exactly what he brings to the table other than rah-rah and looks like a tough guy and is a football guy. Uh, but the Lions... I don't know what they're doing. Uh, I know part of the search was hiring Chris Spielman, who was a former player for the Lions. The Lions just get, the Lions are losing business. They always fail, and then they hire people internally. Imagine if any other business in the world did that. If you were a failing business and kept hiring internal failing people, how would that go? And I'm not picking on Chris Spielman. I'm just saying the Lions need to go outside of their comfort zone, outside of their franchise, outside of their former players, because none of them know anything about winning so for that reason alone, I give it a big, fat F. Next, the Jets hired 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala. How do you like this hire, Marv? Give us a grade and a reason. All right, so I'm going to give this a B. Um, Sala is a heck of a defensive coordinator as we saw in San Francisco when they went to the Super Bowl. And of course, this year they dealt with major injuries to the defense. He still managed to coach up a really good top, I believe they were a top 10, top 15 defense. Even with all the injuries they had, it was surprising to see them play so well and keep themselves in the majority of the games. And they won a few games they weren't supposed to win because of that defense. So big ups to him. Uh, We'll see what he does in New York. It's going to be tough. Uh, being a, a New York Knicks fan, I know that that New York media can be really hard on you. They expect you a lot of big things out of you when you come in as fresh blood. As we saw, it destroyed Adam Gase. Um, so it's going to be tough, but I really like the potential this guy has. Uh, he's building a really nice little 
coaching staff. He brought over Matt LaFleur, Mike LaFleur. Mike, yeah, Mike LaFleur. Uh, Matt LaFleur's brother. So he's going to be the, his new offensive coordinator. So I really liked what he's, what he's trying to build there in New York. So I'm going to give him a B. I'm going to be nicer than you this time. I give them a B plus. I don't like Robert Sala as much on face value as I like the reasoning for it. Uh, they're the Jets. They couldn't get Matt Campbell from Iowa State to interview with them. Yeah, that Iowa State in Iowa, which no one wants to be in. Uh, so I like that for uh, the hire of Robert Sala. Like, you're not going to be able to get somebody really great. And I have my pluses and minuses on him. I think he brings in good culture, but he also kind of tends towards tough guy like Dan Campbell. But he does have a successful resume as a coach. So I like that. Um and then the thing that really set it off for me that moved up the grade is hiring Michael Floor. You're going to bring in that Shanahan offense. I think that's really important. Whether it's Sam Darnold or Justin Fields, both are very raw and need to develop. And this offense is kind of like playing on easy mode because it kind of hides a lot of deficiencies and makes it easy for you. So I think that is a huge part of why I like this hire. Uh, it's a good balance of offense and defense. And then last but certainly not least, we saved the best for last, I think, uh, Urban Meyer to the Jaguars. Marv, give us a grade and your thoughts. I'm giving it an A+. Um, I really like this hire for the Jags. They're bringing someone that knows how to coach an offense, uh, a guy that can come in there and build this team from scratch because, the, let's be honest, the Jags ripped that team up into shreds and acquired a lot of draft picks. So with those draft picks, he's going to come in there and he's going to be able to mold and build this team in his image. And from what I'm hearing, he's going to bring over maybe Trent bulky or a very seasoned GM to help him build this team in his image. So I like what the Jags are trying to do, what they're trying to establish. And I think the sky's the limit with him uh, as he mentioned in the past he wasn't looking to coach but this perfect situation popped up and it was hard for him to pass and I, I really like the pairing he's going to have potentially an opportunity to coach Trevor Lawrence and that could be really special considering Jacksonville already has a few little young pieces on the offensive side and uh, Shark and James Robinson so I like the trend they're going in and I like this pairing. Hopefully it works out for uh, Urban Meyer. Yeah, I'm also going to give this one an A+. Now, I don't know for sure that it's going to be really successful. It might not be. They are Jacksonville after all. But for the fit, you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, nobody wants to come coach in Jacksonville. Oh, Urban Meyer does. All right, good deal. We'll take that guy. Very successful, wins everywhere he goes. But also for Urban Meyer. He's familiar with the area. He coached at University of Florida, not too far away. He has home. He has a home and roots in Florida. Uh, it's kind of a small market college feel, so he can control the media, control the players. It's not going to be a big free agent destination. He can uh, have full control over the roster in a lot of ways and young guys, as you mentioned, that he can kind of pull the strings on and make it feel more college. This is kind of like college go, goes pro. And you pair him with the perfect quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. You start with him in day one. Now, sometimes it's harder for older players to have a college guy come in. 
but these are all young guys and Trevor Lawrence gets them from day one. So I think the fit for Lawrence, the Jaguars and Urban Meyer is just going to be perfect. Uh, and the Jaguars will hit their ceiling. Now it's the Jaguars. So their ceiling might be four and 12. I'm not sure, but we've seen success in Jacksonville though before with Tom Coughlin and them going to the playoffs in the championship game, not long ago. So I say it a little tongue in cheek, but uh, I can't see a better hire or a better situation for them going in. We'll just see how it works. But A-plus from both Marv and I, we end on the same note. That, folks, is the end of our show. We thank you very much for listening. We'll keep bringing the outside-the-box takes for you. Uh, looking forward to the football games this weekend, NFC Championship, AFC Championship. We'll have thoughts on those next week as those wrap up and we'll be bringing the nba news any sort of college news coming up uh we're all over it we're going to be covering it for you follow us on twitter at jmotbpod at mtotbpod other than that marv you anything for the people sharing is karen keep giving us those five-star reviews uh we appreciate each and every one of you uh as you follow us in our journey and enjoy this weekend's uh matchups some really good matchups. We couldn't ask for anything uh, better than these matchups. So have a great weekend, people. Absolutely. We'll talk to you next week. Later, people.